Hi, friends. Welcome back to another Thursday edition of Doable Discipleship. Uh, we have been re-releasing our Easter specials on Thursdays now. On Tuesdays, you are getting brand new episodes of Doable Discipleship, where we're talking through spiritual antidotes. And on Thursdays, uh, for last week, this week, and next week, we are going to be re-releasing our Easter special. So if you did not listen to Easter special part one, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to that. It starts with the upper room, and it goes all the way into the Garden of Gethsemane. And then this week's Easter special is going to be taking us through Jesus' betrayal, his trials, and his crucifixion. Um, so I, I hope that you enjoy this. Again, special thanks to Austin Pay for doing this reading. And then we will be back with you for part three next Thursday. Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you can take him away under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? he asked. Jesus, the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more he asked them, Who are you looking for? And again they replied, Jesus, the Nazarene. I told you that I am he, Jesus said, and since I am the one you want, let these others go. We have in this moment a reminder of the power of God in this situation. When Jesus says those words, I am, and everybody is thrown back to the ground, we're reminded that nobody took Jesus' life from him. He laid his life down willingly. Nobody was powerful enough to kill the Son of Man. He chose to enter into this suffering because he was obedient to the Father and because he knew that it was the only way to bring about the salvation of all of us. He had the power in this situation. And this is told in John's gospel, by the way. This, this moment where Jesus speaks the words and everybody else is thrown back to the ground is something that we only get in John's gospel. And John's gospel emphasizes the deity of Christ or focuses on the godhood of Jesus. He says the words, I am. This may not stand out to us in English language, but we have to remember that when Jesus says this, he's referring to himself using the covenant name of God from the Old Testament, Yahweh. Yahweh, I am. Jesus is calling himself God in this moment, and it's not the first time he's done that, and it won't be the last time either. But here we're reminded that Jesus has the power. He laid his life down by his own free will. When the disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. 
Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, Put the sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup of suffering the Father has given me? No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus spoke to the leading priests, the captains of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him. Am I some dangerous revolutionary, he asked, that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. But this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. So the soldiers, their commanding officers and the temple guards arrested Jesus and tied him up. Then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. One young man following behind was clothed only in a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. They took Jesus to the high priest's home where the leading priests, the elders and the teachers of the religious law had gathered. First they took him to Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest at that time. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. The other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, You're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he replied, I am not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it warming themselves, and Peter stood among them warming himself. Inside, the high priest began asking Jesus about his followers and what he had been teaching them. Jesus replied, Everyone knows what I teach. I have preached regularly in the synagogues and the temple where the people gather. I have not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. Then one of the temple guards standing nearby slapped Jesus across the face. Is that the way to answer the high priest? He demanded. Jesus replied, If I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? Then Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again, You're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, No, I am not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off asked, Didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard, weeping bitterly.
this part of the story is is your heart just goes out for Peter because you know just how much he loves Jesus. You, he has been with Jesus through this entire time, and Jesus calls him the Rock, and in Peter is 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 just full of this bravado, full of this of this passion for Christ, and yet he realizes that when Jesus said that he would deny him, and Peter said, sure, I will never do that. And he realizes, wait, what have I done? And when he hears that rooster crow, he realizes, oh man, like I, I, I denied, I, I denied the Messiah. I denied the one I love. I denied Jesus, who I have followed for for three years, and I couldn't. I, I and I just, I, I, I didn't. I said, I, I do not know him. I was not with him. So you, you just feel the weight of this on Peter. Um, but I think a big part of this was kind of spurs Peter on to the rest of his ministry. Inside, the leading priests and the high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another made without human hands. But even then, they didn't get their stories straight. Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am and you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Why do we need any other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. The guards in charge of Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and said, Prophesy to us, who hit you that time? And they hurled all sorts of terrible insults at him. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care? They retorted. That's your problem. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. The leading priests picked up the coins. It wouldn't be right to put this money in the temple treasury, they said, since this was payment for murder. After some discussion, they finally decided to buy the potter's field and made it into a cemetery for foreigners. That is why the field is still called the Field of Blood. This fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah that says, they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price at which he was valued by the people of Israel, 
and purchased the potter's field as the Lord directed. Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them, and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. So Pilate, the governor, went out to them and asked, What is your charge against this man? There are two things I want to point out here. First of all, just a couple moments ago, we heard Jesus use that powerful phrase, I am, again. And again, he's invoking the covenant name of God. This this name that was considered so holy that humans shouldn't even speak it. This was the understanding of the high priest. Jesus uses that phrase, that name, to refer to himself. And we instantly see the response of the high priest. It says he tears his clothing to show his horror. And he says, why do we need any other witnesses? You've all heard his, his blasphemy yourself. So there's this instant angry reaction to Jesus' words. But this is Jesus reminding us of who he is. Jesus is claiming that he's God. So when we hear people say that, well, Jesus never actually said that he was God. Well, that, that's based on a poor reading of the text. Jesus claimed that he was God on numerous occasions. The second thing we want to point out here is just the sheer hypocrisy of his accusers. We, we, we read here just a moment ago that Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning, and then his accusers went to the headquarters of the Roman governor, but they didn't want to go inside because they didn't want to be defiled and not allowed to celebrate the Passover. So I, I'm just struck in this moment that you have these men who are, are uh, in this vicious campaign to kill the Messiah, and at the very same moment, they're worried about defiling themselves and not being able to celebrate the Passover by setting foot in a Gentile home. In the very same moment, they're engaged in this vicious campaign to kill the Son of God, and yet they are afraid of becoming ceremonially unclean by setting foot in a Gentile home. The level of hypocrisy we see in that is almost unbearable. Pretending to be good, when in reality they're carrying out this terribly evil deed. They begin to state their case. This man has been leading our people astray by telling them not to pay their taxes to the Roman government and by claiming he is the Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, Is this your own question, or did the others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for a trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, So, you are a king. Jesus responded, You say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. Pilate turned to the leading priests and to the crowd and said, 
I find nothing wrong with this man. Then they became insistent. But he is causing riots by his teaching wherever he goes, all over Judea, from Galilee to Jerusalem. Oh, is he a Galilean? Pilate asked. When they said that he was, Pilate sent him to Herod Antipas, because Galilee was under Herod's jurisdiction, and Herod happened to be in Jerusalem at the time. Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus, because he had heard about him and had been hoping for a long time to see him perform a miracle. He asked Jesus question after question, but Jesus refused to answer. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law stood there shouting their accusations. Then Herod and his soldiers began mocking and ridiculing Jesus. Finally, they put a royal robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. Herod and Pilate, who had been enemies before, became friends that day. Then, Pilate called together the leading priests and other religious leaders along with the people, and he announced his verdict. You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and find him innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty. Now, it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at that time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Would you like me to release to you this King of the Jews? Pilate asked the crowd, for he realized by now that the leading priests had arrested Jesus out of envy. But at this point, the leading priests stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, then what should I do with this man you call King of the Jews? Then a mighty roar rose from the crowd, and with one voice they shouted, Kill him and release Barabbas to us! Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he demanded, Why? What crime has he committed? I have found no reason to sentence him to death. So I will have him flogged, and then I will release him. But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified. Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail the King of the Jews, they mocked, as they slapped him across the face. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, Look, here is the man. When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! 
Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, By our law he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into the headquarters again and asked him, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Why don't you talk to me? Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or to crucify you? Then Jesus said, You would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Then Pilate tried to release him. But the Jewish leaders shouted, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. Pilate said to the people, Look, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him. Crucify him. What? Crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the leading priests shouted back. This phrase, when the Jews are saying, we have no king but Caesar, when they are are calling for Christ to be crucified, this kind of harkens us back to John 1, 11, which says, he came to his own, this is referring to Jesus, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. These for the Jews were actually call, it was saying, we have no king but the Roman king. We have no king but Caesar, who the Jews hated the Romans at this time. They did not want to be ruled by the Romans. And so we see this sad irony that they are condemning their true king and instead claiming the king who they have abhorred that they have have never claimed before it's it's this really sad irony of acknowledging roman authority while wanting to crucify their true king and we realize that their hearts have are completely hardened to the truth and love that christ brought when they were finally tired of mocking him they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him again Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away. A passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. Then the leading priests objected and said to Pilate, change it from king of the Jews to he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate replied, no, what I have written, I have written. 
Two others, both criminals, were let out to be executed with him. The criminals also were crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, If you are king of the Jews, save yourself. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So, you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God, even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. By this time it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sebaktani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and to fulfill the scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split apart. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. They said, this man truly was the son of God.
As we wrap up this second part of the Easter special, I want to uh, I want to focus in on a moment that's just occurred that we've just read. And it's this moment where the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two. And this was a curtain that separated the the inner court or the in, the the inner room of the sanctuary of the temple and the holy of holies, the most holy place that was located at the center in the deepest part of the temple. It was the place that no one could enter into except for the high priest once once a year. It is the place of holiness where where it is just said that man is not worthy to tread on that on that on that ground. And in this moment where Jesus uh, releases his spirit, the guilt that prevents relationship with God has been lifted because of Jesus Christ. And now relationship is possible. So that the tearing of that curtain was a beautiful picture, a, a beautiful work of God that shows us that relationship between God and man is now possible again. Now, I hope you'll join us again next week for the dramatic conclusion of this three-part Doable Discipleship Easter special. We love you. We'll see you next time. These excerpts from the New Living Translation were used by permission of Tyndale House Publishers Incorporated. All rights reserved. Product available for purchase at www.tyndale.com. Thank you.